Acts chapter 10, let's begin reading at verse 1. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. I want us to read that last part of verse four one more time, please. Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Thank you, Lord, for today and your presence, for your work that is going on. You know, that couldn't have happened at a better time. <laughs> For those of you that did not hear, I just thank the Lord for his presence and somebody, I don't know if Siri or who it was, but simply said, my pleasure. So, you know, isn't that just like God? It is his pleasure to bring his help to us. Not sure how you recover from that. <laughs> Lord, we do appreciate your goodness. Now open our hearts that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches. I pray blessing upon them. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith and ask you to draw them back to your side so that not one of them is lost. I pray these things in the only name that matters, that marvelous, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. When I was a child, the little communities where I lived and grew up were almost all small farming communities. Though we didn't own a farm, every season my father planted a family vegetable garden, and during summer months when I was a little bit older, I spent some time working on a farm, working out in the fields. All that to say, I have had some experience with the planting and harvesting of crops. One of the things I remember about the vegetable gardens my father planted was how he would plant a row of a certain vegetable and then at the end of the row, he would drive a wooden stake, and on top of that stake, he would place the little packet in which the seeds came. I brought a couple of packets of seeds with me today. I don't know that you can see these from, from the distance and everything, but have you ever noticed the front of the packages of seeds never has a picture of the seeds that are inside of the package? I've never seen a packet of seeds with a picture of a seed on the front. There's always a picture of the flower or the fruit or the vegetable 
that is to grow from the seeds inside the packet. You know, I look at this one and some beautiful red vine-ripened tomatoes. Pictures of that. Here's, here's this lovely watermelon on the front of this. It doesn't tell me a picture, show me a picture of a seed. It shows me of the harvest. When those who market seeds are putting the advertisement in front of you, they never want you to focus on the seed. They want you to focus on the harvest. You don't plant something and visualize the seed you're planting. Instead, you visualize the harvest you're going to reap. When we planted those vegetable gardens, we would always know just where we had planted each vegetable by the picture on the front of the packet we placed on the stake at the end of the row. Long before any plants broke through the soil, we would walk through the garden and say, well, over here we've planted butter beans, and over there are turnips, and in this row are black-eyed peas. It, It was easy to tell because we had designated and labeled the rows. In each one of those rows, we had named our harvest. In each row, we had placed a picture of what our harvest was going to look like. Now, right on the front end of this message, I want to let you know I'm going to talk from our text about your giving. I also want you to know when I get to the end of this message, I'm going to give an invitation for a response. And I tell you that because I don't want there to be any surprises at the end of the message. As we look at the story that forms the text for the message today, I want to show you a principle about giving that is really easy to miss. See, it's easy when you read, if you know this story in Acts 10, you know it's the story of Peter going to the house of Cornelius, who is a Gentile, and and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles and all that taking place. I encourage you to read that whole chapter when you get home. I just don't have time to do it in the message and preach all of the sermon too. But when you read this, it's easy to focus on the appearance of the angel to Cornelius. It's easy to focus on the vision that was given to Peter. It's easy to focus on Peter coming to the house of Cornelius, the house of a Gentile, and preaching Jesus to him. It's easy to focus on the infilling of the Holy Spirit that happens with the accompanying gift of speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit falls upon all that are in the household of Cornelius. Those are common themes and very important ones, themes worthy of preaching about. But today, I want to highlight a principle about your giving that emerges from this story that a lot of people miss. It's a principle that will be a means of unleashing a powerful measure of spiritual blessing upon your life. It's a principle of how to receive a revival in your heart, in your home, and in your church. It's a principle that if you will follow, will be a means of maximizing the return on the investments you make in the kingdom of God. Now, this message is going to be a little bit different from the way I normally structure a message. Uh, I'm not going to have points on the screen, so you might say this is pointless. But in this message, what I want to do is I want to show you two streams. And then at the end of the message, these two streams are going to flow together into one current of blessing God has for those who will heed his word. So are you ready? Here we go. 
How many of you would say to me, Pastor John, I need a spiritual breakthrough, particularly in my home. Some part of my family really needs some help that can only come from God. All right, well, when we look at this story, we find here a man who gave, and the harvest he received was a spiritual revival where his entire household experienced the blessing of the Lord. I dare say most of us are aware there are harvest principles God has built into his word and into this world. Those principles work in the realm of agriculture, and they work just as well in the spiritual arena. These harvest principles are revealed in the Word of God, and they tell us three things. First of all, you always reap what you sow. Every farmer knows that. You plant corn, you don't reap beans. You get corn, right? Now, y'all don't just, just because I told you it's pointless, don't just sit there and look at me, okay? Remember, this is, you plant corn, you get corn. Thank you. Thank you. See, if you don't talk back to me a little bit, then I feel like I'm not getting through, and it takes twice as long to preach the message because I have to go back and explain everything. You always reap what you sow. Here's the second principle. You always reap more than you sow. See, if you plant a grain, what would be the point to plant a grain, a kernel of corn, and get a kernel of corn? Why, why go to all of the, why risk the grain? Why risk the seed? But you plant one kernel of corn, and out of that comes a stalk. It's going to be one, two ears on that stalk. Each one of those ears of corn is going to have multiple kernels, each one capable of reproducing itself. So you always reap what you sow. You always reap more than you sow. Third principle, you always reap after you sow. If you don't plant any seed, you don't get a harvest. I know you were looking for something a little more deep, you know, a little, a little meaty. That's all I got. It's pretty simple. You always reap what you sow. You always reap more than you sow. And you always reap after you sow. Now, I, I tell you that, I remind you of that, because too often we forget those principles, we think we ought to be just gathering in harvest from the Lord. And the Lord says, no, it starts with the faith to sow a seed. Because it requires faith to sow. A, a farmer has to have faith that the seed is going to do what a seed does. Jesus talked about it this way. He said, unless the grain falls into the ground and dies... It can't produce a harvest. So when you plant the seed, you know immediately you're going to lose that seed. It's going to die. But only after that, only when you put it there and then you nurture it, only then can it potentially spring forth. And the reason you plant is because faith believes that there's going to come a harvest out of the planting. All right. Now, we know those principles to be true, but one of the things often missing in our seed sowing is we fail to designate the field or the place in which to reap the harvest. In addition, we too often focus on the seed, and in the process, we fail to visualize the harvest. 
See, whenever a farmer plants corn, he always knows where to go and reap corn. He reaps in the field designated for corn. That's where he's planted his seed, and so that's where he goes to reap the harvest. If you want strawberries, you go to the field in which strawberries have been planted. You don't go to the field in which you planted butter beans. Each field is specially prepared for its specific harvest. In order to reap a certain harvest, you must go to the field which has been designated for that harvest. Now, I know I'm just kind of taking my time and walking you through this because I want you to get this because it's a principle, because what is true in the natural is true in the spiritual realm as well. We understand when we take a gift and we wrap our faith around that gift and we plant that gift in the kingdom of God, then God promises those gifts that we give become seeds from which we can expect to reap a harvest. However, I've discovered most of us are guilty of indiscriminate sowing. In other words, we just simply scatter the seed, right? We just, we just give. Now, I know I'm talking to a group of people today, you are very faithful in your giving. So I want you to understand, I'm not fussing about your giving. I'm not fussing about it at all. I'm not even trying to get you to increase your giving. You are consistent and faithful in your giving. You hear me stand in this pulpit week after week and express appreciation for the way you faithfully and generously give. It's because it's true. You are generous people. I want to congratulate you for being so consistent and so generous. Your giving is a blessing. It blesses this church, and in turn, this church is able to bless around the world because you give. So thank you. Some of you, when you give, you just give out a simple obedience to the word of God. You saw that God said you're supposed to give, and so you do it. Some of you are are motivated to give out of a heart of compassion. Some of you are motivated by a sense of duty and obligation. Whatever your particular motivation, you give, and I just want to say thank you. Too often, however, when you give, you simply place your gift in the box in the back, or you use the kiosk in the lobby, or you access the secure give online, and that's the last you think about it. You give, I did what I was supposed to do, and move on to the next week. What I want to suggest to you today is that you're missing out on something from God when you give that way. There are many times you fail to reap the harvest produced by the seed you sow because you haven't specified the field in which you are sowing and you haven't specified the harvest you expect to reap from what you give. You're just giving because, well, God says I'm supposed to give, so I just give, and that's the end of it. And you don't understand, every time you do that, that's an opportunity to reap a harvest. You sow the seed, but you don't receive the return you should. You don't receive the fruit of the harvest from your seed because you don't know where to look for it. You haven't put the seed package on the stake at the end of the row in the field where you've planted your seed. You haven't designated the field for your harvest from the Lord. You aren't visualizing the harvest that is to come from the seed you are already sowing. Now, that's stream one. I want you to keep that thought simmering on the back burner of your mind, and we're going to look at the story from Acts chapter 10. In this chapter, we have a fascinating account of how the Holy Spirit breaks through barriers of culture, 
tradition, class, and nationality. It's a story of the gospel of Jesus and the power of God being extended outside the circle of Jewish believers to include the Gentile nations as well. The person God chooses to use in this introduction of the life of the Spirit to the Gentiles is a man named Cornelius, who was an officer in the Roman army. According to what we read, Cornelius was a godly man. In fact, he is described in verse 22 as being a righteous man and a God-fearer. In addition, he had a good reputation among the entire nation of the Jews as a man of caring and compassion, one who found ways to bless them even when they were undergoing persecution at the hands of others. In this story, we are told of two visions. First, a vision to Cornelius, and then a vision to the apostle Peter. In the vision of Cornelius, the angel comes to him and tells him to send over to the city of Joppa and have Peter come and preach to him so he will more fully understand the way of salvation. In Peter's vision, the the Lord really has to work on him to get him past his Jewish prejudices. You remember the story of his vision? Remember, there's this sheet let down from the sky Various animals that are considered unclean by the Jews are in the middle of this sheet, and the, and the word of the Lord speaks to Peter and tells him to arise, kill, and eat. Peter raises an objection, as any good Jewish boy would. Oh, no, Lord, that's common and unclean. I'm a good Jewish boy. I don't eat bacon. But the vision appears three times. After the third time, the Lord speaks to him and tells him that there's going to be some men at the door asking for him, and he's to go with them because the Lord is sending him on a mission to the Gentiles. Now, I'm not sure Peter had any idea what he was getting himself into, but in obedience to the word of the Lord, he went. When he arrived at the home of Cornelius, in obedience to the vision, he began to preach to those who had assembled to hear him. While he was in the middle of his sermon, preaching the gospel of Jesus and the way to salvation, the Holy Spirit fell upon all the household of Cornelius. Just like on the day of Pentecost, those who were present were filled with the Spirit, began speaking with tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Revival came to Cornelius. Spiritual renewal came to him and all of his household that was assembled with him. The coming of the Holy Spirit to this centurion became the introduction of the gospel preached not just to the Jews, but to anyone who would give attention. This was the introductory revival that led to you and me being able to, be, being able to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus and us having the privilege of being born again into the kingdom of God. This is where it all starts, right? Right in Acts chapter 10. In the next chapter, chapter 11, the leaders of the church call Peter into question because he went to the house of a Gentile. And in his defense, he just recounted the vision he received. He told about the outpouring of the Spirit upon the people as he was preaching. He told the leadership of church this was proof positive that God is no respecter of persons, but is willing to bring salvation to all who believe. The witness of the Spirit was so convincing that gospel began to be freely proclaimed to all the Gentile world, and all of it had its start with this one man named Cornelius. But there's one thing in particular I want you to notice about this man. True, he was a righteous and God-fearing man. True, he was well-spoken of by the Jewish community. But the Bible reveals there was something in particular that caused God to pay special attention to him. In verse four, the angel says to Cornelius, watch this, we read it twice. Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. I want you to pay attention to that word alms. Later, when Cornelius tells Peter about the vision he received in verse 31, he says, the angel told him, Cornelius, 
your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. There it is again. Your alms have been remembered. Your alms have created a memorial before God. Cornelius, you have prayed and you have given alms. That giving has created a memorial before the throne of the Almighty. You have sown seeds of alms. You have wrapped your faith and your prayer around those seed, and those seeds are now producing a harvest, and it's a harvest of revival and spiritual renewal. Now, almsgiving is a specific kind of giving. Almsgiving is not your tithes. Your tithe is 10% of the increase of your income you give to God as a means of acknowledging his lordship over it all. Almsgiving is not your offering to God and his work. Offerings are important, even necessary. They're part of God's command as you come in worship. Offerings are given to the Lord as a means of giving thanks for his blessings. But almsgiving is a specific offering given to bless the poor. And it's interesting to me to notice it was the gifts to the poor that caused such a memorial to be erected before God that he would pay special attention to Cornelius and bring the revival of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon him and all his household. It was Cornelius giving to the poor, wrapping his prayers and faith around those gifts, seeking the righteousness of God that caused God to bring a spiritual renewal to his life. You know, the Bible has some powerful things to say about the way we treat the poor. God makes some special promises to those who take care of the poor. Did you know that? For example, in Proverbs 19 and 17, the wisdom writer said, he who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. He said in Proverbs 28 and 27, he who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. And again, in Proverbs 14, 21, he tells us, he who despises his neighbor's sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. The psalmist sang in Psalm 41, verses one through three, how blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive and he shall be called blessed upon the earth and do not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to health. You know, one of the things that made the early church so attractive and made people want to investigate its claims about Jesus and made them want to become part of those early believers was the way they cared for the poor and the orphans and the widows. So here's Cornelius. He's praying to know God. He's seeking the face of God. He's longing for a revival in his household. He's a righteous man, but he doesn't just spend time on his knees. He also goes out into the marketplace. And there... As he's walking in the marketplace, he sees a poor beggar rattling his cup, begging for alms. Cornelius reaches into his purse, drops in a coin, says, bless you, sir. Every time he blesses the poor, another stone is added to the memorial being erected before the throne of God until finally there are memorial stones lying all around the heavenly throne room. God can't take a step without bumping his toe into one of Cornelius' memorial stones. God can't look in any direction without seeing one of Cornelius' memorial stones. There's a memorial wall rising up in front of the throne so large it's hard to see over. So the Lord dispatches an angel to say to Cornelius, hey, 
Hey, listen, I have heard the prayers you've prayed. I've seen the alms you've given. And in response to your prayers and your alms, I'm sending a spiritual renewal that not only is going to impact your life and the lives of those in your household, but it's going to have an impact upon the entire world. Now, y'all are real quiet in this Presbyterian church today. I think that means you're listening and not sleeping. I'm just going to continue to believe that. What I want to suggest to you is that this story teaches an important principle. One of the ways to bring spiritual renewal and revival is by giving to the poor and wrapping your faith and your prayers around that gift to say to the Lord, here's where I need to receive my harvest. I need revival in my heart. I need revival in my home. I need revival in my church. I need revival in my neighborhood. I need revival on my job. I need the power of the Holy Ghost to break in on my dry, barren heart. So, Lord, I'm naming my harvest field. I'm designating the place of my harvest, and I'm giving this gift to the poor as a seed so I can receive the spiritual renewal I desperately need. I feel like I may be preaching to somebody who needs a breakthrough to get out of the grief that has you so tightly in its grip, it's choking the very life out of you. I feel like I may be talking to somebody who needs a breakthrough to get you out of the depression that is crushing you. I might be talking to somebody who needs a breakthrough from the oppression of the enemy that's just about to destroy your family. Talking to somebody who needs a breakthrough to get you out of the despair that's been driving you to the point of wanting to end your life. And I'm giving you a plan of action to take in order to receive the harvest you desperately need. Now, I want to be clear. Please hear this. Please hear this. This is not a way to try and buy spiritual blessings. How many of you know it is not possible to buy the blessings of the Lord? So anybody that tries to come to you and say, you need to sow your $100 seed so you can get your 1,000-fold return, just blow them off, okay? Just go on your merry way. You can't buy God's blessing. We sang about it. I talked about it earlier. It's the good. God is good because he's just good all in by himself. He does good things because he can't help but do good things because that's who he is. And it's by grace. It's not by our works. It's not by anything we can do. There's no way you can possibly buy the blessings of the Lord. At the same time, when God brings his blessings into your life, there is always a multiplication factor. Your gift can't begin to buy his blessings, but your gift can be a catalyst that opens up the channel for his blessings to begin to flow into your life. And one of the principles of the harvest is that you always reap more than you sow. So when you give, God begins to bless in response to that gift. He always will. He opens windows of heaven and pours out a blessing so large you can't contain it. He returns, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He gives the former and the latter rain so the vats overflow with new wine and the barns burst with abundance. The principle is you give to the poor. 
You wrap your faith and your prayers around that gift. You call on God for the spiritual renewal you need. Then you designate the place where you need a revival harvest. You visualize the picture of what it looks like when your son or your daughter turns around and starts wholeheartedly serving the Lord. You visualize the picture of what it looks like when your home is filled with peace and joy instead of turmoil and chaos. You visualize the picture of what it looks like when the depression and the fear and the anxiety is gone and you can be fully functional again. And when you do that, God hears the prayer. He sees the alms you give and those alms become a memorial and out of his bounty, he pours out his Holy Spirit without reservation until there's no more room to contain it. You give your gift, you plant your seed, you wrap your faith in your prayers around that gift. Anytime you give, you ought to designate your harvest field. But it is especially true when you give in this manner. You name the place where you need to see revival. And then you believe God to bring a harvest of divine blessing and spiritual renewal to your life. Now, anytime I preach a message such as this, I know there are some who are gonna hear it and just kind of blow it off. Say, well, yeah, there he goes again. But there are going to be some who will hear this message and it will get into your spirit, you will believe it, and you're going to want to put it into practice. So I want to help you do that today. I told you at the beginning of the message I was going to give you an invitation to respond, so we're at the end. Some of you be glad to know that. And I'm going to ask you to give. I'm going to ask those who believe the word of the Lord and desire to speed the to see the spiritual dynamic I've been preaching about take place in your life, I'm going to ask you to take it out of the realm of theory and put the principle into practice. The gift I'm going to ask you to give is not for this church. It isn't for any programs of this local church. None of it's going into my pocket. Not one dime is going to stay here. Several months ago, our brother Wally Alunaga came to me with a desire to build a medical clinic in his home village in Nigeria. He heard about the clinic that we had funded in Zambia and wondered if perhaps something like that could be done in his hometown. Right now, as I understand it, there is no medical facility close. And people have died who otherwise might have been saved had there been medical help available. He and his family have donated the land for the clinic. The land has been deeded to the Church of God in Nigeria, and they're going to oversee the construction and then the operation of the clinic once it's built. Our brother Wally has begun raising funds from resources and, and people he knows. And I told him back then, I told him, I said, if we can work all this out, we'll partner with you and we'll contribute to this worthy needed cause. So here's how I'm going to ask you to respond to this message about giving today. First of all, I want you to take a moment and just, we're going to do this in just a moment, where you will just ask the Lord what he wants you to give in the next 90 days. What is a significant gift for you? I know, I know 
some of you don't have a lot of resources. I understand that. And don't worry. Don't worry. God will not ask for something you don't have. But I can almost guarantee he'll ask for something you'd like to keep. Isn't that like God? He will not ask you for what you don't have, but just kind of write that one down. He will probably ask you for something you'd like to keep. If you really want to become a participant in the spiritual renewal God has promised, I encourage you to joyfully give what the Lord lays on your heart. Some of you, some of you are going to think about it and pray about it here in just a moment, and then you're going to have to go have a conversation with your spouse, which is a good thing, because you, you guys need to be in agreement about this. It's amazing to me how often the husband and wife pray about it and say, Lord, what would you have us to give? And they come up with the same number independently of each other. If you come up with different numbers, go with a higher number. I'm, no. Because uh, <laughs> that one has more faith. <laughs> Here's what I'm asking you to do. I ask them to put a, a card in each one of the seats, just a blank card. That's why. Because I want you to take that card. I want to ask you on that card to write an amount you wish to give. Don't put your name on it. Just write down an amount you plan to give in the next 90 days. Some of you will give it today. Some of you are going to have to bring it later. Some of you have to do it on the installment plan. That's okay. But over the next 90 days, what will you give for this clinic to bless somebody that you will probably never see, but God will honor your gift. So I'm just gonna ask you to write down the amount you believe you ought to give. And here's what we're gonna do at the, to conclude this service. We're just gonna hold these things up to the Lord. I'm, I'm told, since, since there's always a question about this, the, the, I'm told that it will cost right at $50,000 to construct this, this clinic. I don't know that we'll get $50,000. I mean, if you want to write a check for that today, we'll take it. But whatever you give, it's okay. And I don't want you to feel pressured to give. This is between you and God. But there's a principle involved here that I... As a, as a pastor, I practice it. I've practiced it all of my life. And I've seen God do this over and over again. And I teach my congregation this. You know, most people get a little uncomfortable when the pastors immediately start, you know, when he stands up and says, today I'm going to talk about your giving, they just kind of tighten up on me. I don't really care because that's part of God's word. We need to understand that. So what we're going to do is we're going to write down an amount, whatever that amount is, and I'm not going to collect them. This is you and God, but I want you to write it down because there's something about writing it down that, that, that sees, just kind of anchors it in and establishes it. When we've done that, we're going to hold it up to the Lord. We're going to pray. We're going to wrap our faith, and we're going to wrap our prayers around that gift. We're going to designate the field where we need a spiritual harvest.
I don't know what that is for you. I only know what that is for me. But we're going to believe God together for his abundance and for his miracle life to flow in spiritual renewal. That's what we're going to do today. Okay, you, you got how we're, how we're doing this? You understand this? When we've done that, I'm not going to collect those cards. I'm going to ask you to take that card home. Put it someplace where you'll see it. If you're not giving it today, it'll be a reminder. But every time you look at that, I want you to wrap your prayer and your faith around that to say, Lord, I've given and I'm giving and I'm believing for a spiritual renewal and harvest and name your field and name the area that you're believing God for a harvest. What will that harvest look like? What, 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 what's on the front of your seed packet? What picture are you putting there? What picture do you see? How do you see God moving in your home, on your job, in your physical body, in your relationships? How do you see God moving? What, is that, what would that look like? Lord, this is where I'm giving and this is how I'm wrapping my faith around it. And every time you look at that card, it'll be an opportunity for another prayer and another opportunity to see what your harvest will look like. You got it? You understand where I'm going? All right. Lord, speak to our hearts, I pray. I believe you've already spoken to mine about what I should do. Haven't had a chance to confer with the wife, so when we do that, we'll, we'll know. But Lord, we are wrapping our faith and our prayers around this. And I'm believing that all across this congregation, small gift, big gift, does not matter. But we're giving it as almsgiving to bless the poor wrapping our faith and prayers around it and believing you for a harvest where we desperately need spiritual renewal. Thank you for hearing our prayer. I'm believing that you will confirm your word as we respond to you in obedience. Now, would you just, I'm gonna stand, please. We're, we're, we're at the end of this service, so. Would you just kind of hold that card up to the Lord? whatever you've written on it. Here it is, Lord. Here it is, Lord. This is, my, this, is, this is what I'm giving to this area. I'm gonna bless someone that's less fortunate than I am. I'm gonna bless somebody I will probably never see, but I'm doing it, my faith in your word. Now, would you just take a moment and tell the Lord where you need a harvest, just in your, your own words, your own, you may wanna do it just under your breath, Lord, here's where I need a harvest. Here's where I need your help. Here's where I need a breakthrough. And I'm giving, wrapping my faith and my prayers around that, believing you for this harvest.